You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with another one of our summer throwbacks, eh? The last one a of Patreon the summer episode. throwbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this is di- uh, digging pretty deep into the archives here. We're, I think this was like our first ever Patreon or second, something like that. Something like that. Way back in the day. So yeah, digging in deep to a really unique Canadian UFO case for you guys to listen to tonight. Yeah, it was thanks to our friends Rob, or our friend Rob, <laughs> over <laughs> yeah. at Our Strange Skies. Uh, he was the one that first introduced us to this topic and... It was kind of interesting because we are Canadians, yet we had never heard of this before, and um, we're sure a lot of you, both Canadian, American, and beyond, haven't as well. So we wanted to re-release this for you guys. It was pretty bizarre that we hadn't heard of it because it was so famous in the few short years that it happened, but when we dug into it and like, there's just so much, uh, there's so much to talk about with Charlie and we're really excited for you guys to listen to this one. So yeah, this will be the last release of our summer series, uh, going into the archives and then we'll be back with our regular releases soon and we hope you guys enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a really fun one for us and, uh, it's going to be a fun one for all y'all. So yeah, I look forward to this and more coming down the pipe. Obviously we have our film Friday, Oktoberfest coming your way really soon. Definitely. The horror film Fridays. So we actually just put up a poll on Facebook and we want all of you to go on and vote for your favorite and it's open, right? So you can add your own favorite and then other people can vote for it too. And we'll just see which uh, four come out on top. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested to see what sort of uh, what eras of films end up being like the most voted upon movies, right? I wonder. Yeah, like I I threw out I think five as original, like you know, like just suggestions, and then obviously people can add their own. But uh, I I'm really curious too because I did add the original it. There is a new it. This, right. The, it's already out. Apparently, we haven't seen it, but we would love to. And right. so like I was kind of curious as to whether people would want us to cover any of those at all definitely i'm excited it's going to be fun obviously halloween is upon us and that's like our christmas uh here and into the portal so yeah super excited and uh let us know what you guys think about this ufo case okay so hit us up we haven't had any emails lately from uh, some of our uh our regulars uh, i guess but uh we always love getting emails from you guys so into the portal mailbox at gmail.com or just hit us up on facebook twitter instagram you, you know where to find us you guys and uh let us know what you think of charlie Mm-hmm. Without well, for, without, without further, further ado, ado. <laughs> let me do it this time, Andrew. <laughs> without further ado. Between the years 1975 to 76 in southern Manitoba, something strange was seen soaring through the skies. Spotted on almost a nightly basis, the unidentified object was eventually given the endearing nickname Charlie Red Star. Charlie was seen primarily in Manitoba, Canada, but sightings also occurred south of the border in the American states of North Dakota and Minnesota, among others. The phenomena was documented regularly by the citizens of Carmen, Manitoba, and beyond, as far north as Winnipeg, where pilots, military, and media alike all became witness to this astonishing UFO flap. While Charlie made local headlines during the height of his fame in the 1970s, knowledge of the friendly UFO did not disseminate much beyond local communities, leading Charlie's light to fade into obscurity in modern times. Join us on a special Patreon episode of Into the Portal as we reignite the discussion on this particular case and attempt to shed light on the mystery of Charlie. What was he? Where did he come from? And where did he go?
Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Andrew McKay. And I'm Ambray. And welcome back to, well, I guess, I mean, if you were here for part one, this is our second exclusive Patreon episode. It is. So yeah, super exciting. Yeah, we're stoked on it. Um, yeah, we were kind of just milling around, trying to wonder, <laughs> trying to wonder. Trying to wonder. Trying to. I've been thinking about thinking, wondering. and I think I might have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we were thinking about covering Amber's warts for this one, but no, <laughs> we decided to go with <laughs> another UFO uh, case. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of, we're, we've become slightly hooked on the UFOs recently. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we, um, yeah, we, we have a very unique Canadian case that we're going to talk about tonight. Mm. And we thought it would be perfect for Patreon because uh, people seem to really love the UFO stuff. And this is obviously, we're from Canada, so let's, yeah. do, let's do it. All right. So we are covering none other than Charlie Red Star. That's right. Yes. Uh, a not so widely known UFO flap that occurred primarily in Manitoba over the course of a couple of years. So it was 1975 to 76. Right. But um, it, but it, and it was like, it was definitely people knew about it at the time in Manitoba, but like, yeah, when we, when we had this story brought to our attention, um, by Rob from our strange skies, we had, hadn't heard of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of crazy because obviously we're from, we're from Canada and we know people that have uh, grown up on the prairies and stuff like that My in, family our, in did, your family. Yeah. So yeah, it's unique. It's very unique. Not that far as Manitoba, but, no, but Saskatchewan, yeah. those sort of areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a really fascinating story. I think my favorite thing about this story is the fact that Charlie wasn't ominous. No. He was seen as, like, a friendly, regular UFO guy. Like, <laughs> you know, friendly it was like, neighborhood UFO. Exactly, yeah. And he, he just, he displayed a lot of, you know, the classic tendencies of UFO phenomena. But, at the same time, he was very unique. And he was uh, highly revered, I think. Like, you know, he got that sort of nomer, the and look Charlie. How, and look how we're referring to him already. He, 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 right? It's exactly. a personified, it's a personified UFO. Which and we're going to keep really, doing that, because yeah. I can't help it. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, it's just such a cute name, right? I mean, you, give, really a, you give a UFO the name it's Charlie. Mm-hmm. It's very endearing, very yeah. much so. So, yeah, let's, uh, I mean, mm. let's, let's get okay. into the description, I guess. Yeah, that's important. Okay. So... Our main, well, our main source of information for this episode was from this book called Charlie Red Star that was right. published by a guy who followed the story as it was happening. His name is Grant Cameron. Mm-hmm. And so we highly recommend buying his book or uh, borrowing it from your local library, whatever. But yeah, he, he gave a very in-depth examination of this case mm-hmm. in general. And so the main, what would you say the main descriptors are then for Charlie? Well, I mean, I think the main descriptors would be the fact that it's it was quite large, red, glowing mm, red. Yeah, the red part, yeah. Right, which is... Glowing the, from within. Yeah. Like, not from without. Yeah, like, it didn't shine... Yeah, it wasn't shining a light. It was like, emanating on anything. It. it was emanating, and it was just sort of that... Just that centralized location, just mm. the object. And just to really drive that point home, like... It was intense, the light that he was producing. It was so intense that when he would cross fields, like, you know, across the prairies, it would look like the entire countryside was on fire. That's how intense. Right. Especially, you know, like, you have these wide open expanses and things like that. Like, that takes a lot of power. So what kind of thing could possibly create and generate Generating that? that much. Exactly. And, and, fa- and to the fact that it was silent. So it's yes. like typically when you have something that's crazy bright or something like that. It's like, okay, well, what, yeah, like you Mm -hmm. said, what energy is being used to produce that? And it didn't make a sound. No. Well, predominantly there were instances where there was like a low rumble or like that type of thing, right? but not in most of them. It was mostly just a silent, um, glowing, pulsating, bobbing disc that kind of meandered around. He didn't really, he could jet off quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And there are instances where people would say they would witness Charlie glow and he would change color from like a red to like a bright yellow to a white almost. And then he'd blast off, like almost like he's going into orbit or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, presumably, right? (laughs) But yeah, no, like it's just so funny. It was just almost like a lazy kind of a a UFO is how he was described in some instances. Exactly. How he had his regular route. Like he, he took the same, it was like this pattern, right? He would go through... The southern, mostly southern Manitoba, right around the Carmen area, is like right. a small town. Right. And then people say like they would they would follow him. They would like chase him in their cars, and it they was would like follow a hobby. him to the border. Like people had like, and that was obviously what Cameron Grant Cameron like that was what he exactly. did. Exactly. Him and That's some buddies, kind of... they would follow. Yeah, they. Followed so what, this... let's get into that then. Like okay, his cool. whole um, 
Cameron, like, he initially, he was, like, you know, one of these people, right? He's just in the backseat of a car, him and all his buddies coming out for, you know, just, like, they had nothing better to do. So they just all piled in, and they had heard, like, the previous nights before there had been these strange sightings. So they came out, and they just, basically, they had their own encounter. And ever since then, Cameron sort of became obsessed. He definitely became obsessed. And everyone else, he described how everyone else kind of just moved on with their lives, and he didn't. (laughs) It affected him a lot more, obviously. I mean, what he saw was profound enough to focus a good amount of his life on it. Um, but of course, the yeah. book didn't come out until just recently, like it just was in a the two thousands. Yeah, just just a few years ago, really. Like, yeah. Um, but of course, this was in nineteen seventy five when he first would have been driving around with his buddies, mm-hmm. and uh, it was tucked away the manuscript in his in a in like a sock drawer in his sister's. Yeah. he threw it away, and his sister recovered it. it and saved it. The family historian, I guess. Right, and. Well, yeah. it's a good thing she did because he definitely had some interesting, good, some good info. Yeah, this wouldn't really be, be <laughs> nearly as uh, well, nearly as fascinating. It would have just been a few news clips, kind exactly. of exactly a few right? disparate stories, not widely like you know, not connected back to one another. Yeah, no patterns really distinguish that type of thing. So we get all of that in this book, which is right. it, it. Honestly, I didn't read the entire thing cover to cover, but I did read the bulk of it and a lot of it was very fascinating at certain points he kind of becomes a little bit pedantic or i don't even know <laughs> what's the word for pedantic it? yeah El viago. El viago. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I yeah i get that a little bit i yeah. mean it, he made some he was a strange bird let's just say that he yeah. definitely was a bit of a peculiar guy but not to say that he was incredible no um, and he did a good job covering this case so that's why you know we just want to bring those points up i guess yeah but going back to like you know these general descriptors like we've gone over the fact that yeah he was this glowing he was mostly described as either a ball or a disc yeah but he changed shapes there's a lot of shapes <laughs> of the Charlie. Shape-shifting Which UFOs. is strange, right? Because it was always described as the same entity. It was right. never described as multiples or everyone always connected it back to one another. Maybe just because of the high strangeness of the whole thing, right? Or just the color. Like, even if it was or a different that, shape yeah. and they're just like, oh, it's, you know. Or they would see him transform. So that, to them, would signify that it was the same thing as just right. going through different transmutations and all that. Which is which is a strange... Uh, Phrasing, right? Because if you're thinking about a UFO, I mean, well, is it a there's, craft? there's, is, di- it a, is it a biological entity? That's that's the question, right? Because if it's is changing, it if, yeah, like if it's changing um, shapes and colors, like for presu- like seemingly no reason, then you know what there I mean. Like has that's to be di- a function for that, though. Well, for sure, but it's just it's it's unlike other UFO sightings, right? Like it's if- not. You know what I'm thinking in my head now? It's almost like the aura of Charlie. So it's like, you know how everyone, well, some people that are more spiritual or whatever would say, like, everyone has an aura. You have a yellow aura. You have a blue aura. It's like Charlie's aura was out there for everyone to see. He <laughs> was just like a runaway UFO. He ran away from home and he ended up just chilling Aww. in Carmen, Manitoba for a little while. Yeah, he was lost. He's like lost puppies <laughs> just going in a little trap trying to find his way home. I guess so. Aww. <laughs> well, okay, so let's get into these changing shapes then, because the predominant one was, like I said, either the glowing ball or the disc. Yeah. But there were some other really cool ones, eh? Like, well, like there was the Ferris wheel, where he was like, it seemed like this, like, spinning um, disc of lights that would, like, rotate, right? So spinning, right? Yeah. I said that. It was, like, rolling through the sky. Yeah. It was, like, one of the descriptions or whatever. Yeah, like a Ferris wheel. Almost, I almost picture my head, like, um, a Frisbee disc flying yeah. through the air. Yeah. Because it was always at a bit of an angle. He right. was always at, like, kind of, like, a 45 to 30 degree angle. Yeah. When he flew, especially in the disc form. So that, to me, signifies, like, maybe that had something to do with his trajectory, the motion of travel and... That type of thing? Maybe. Hmm. 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 <laughs> That's so cool, actually, to think about. What if What if this is, yeah, exactly that, the same, it's harnessing the same principles that you would use in a Frisbee, but in a completely different way, <laughs> Like, literally just the the shape of a Frisbee, you mean? Like just well, the, yeah, just the motion the of a Frisbee. of a Frisbee. And how it literally is spinning that fast. Right. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that they're able to change direction so suddenly, they're able to seemingly go in non-ballistic motions, right. like that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And de- Charlie was definitely guilty of that, hey? Like, he would he would stop abruptly, he would um, definitely, he would, he wouldn't even, like, stop and change directions, he would just be going, and then he would reverse. And just change and just directions. Go, and just, like, be going in the opposite. Which, of course, sort of defies physics a little bit. <laughs> I say, I'm no physicist, but I, mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there was no stop, just an immediate, it's like there's almost like time 
didn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? Like it just, because how can you be moving forward and then for just the perceiver? What if that was all? Anyway, sorry. All right, we'll get, I'm okay, we're going to we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We're okay, ourselves okay, here. okay, okay. So where are we at here then? Um, yeah, so we talked about the main descriptors. We've talked about like you know like there's strange things like and even. There was instances where smaller craft were seen sort of rotating around Charlie. Okay. There was this one local by the name of Francis Stegg who made the statement that it almost seemed as if they were performing docking maneuvers around. It was almost like a figure eight motion around the main ship. And then there were two other ones that were kind of like going in an aerial sort of pattern. Crazy. Which is So it's almost weird. like in that, in that instance that Charlie could be... Like a, you know, a docking spot or those are reconnaissance. Like, you know, like how you see the atom with the protons and the electrons spinning around it and stuff. And then, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm getting all sorts of crazy ideas here. A little bit of crazy. crazy. (laughs) I did want to make a point. Actually, I had just had a thought here too, because we just recently did like covered the Maury Island incident. Right. And, um, not that there's similarities in the description of how it looks between the craft from that incident and Charlie, mm-hmm. but some of the actions are kind of reminiscent, like the uh, the one UFO uh, that seemed to be struggling uh, in the Maury Island yeah. incident that dropped down kind of in a, you know, tilting on its side, kind of the way Charlie would often travel and just be basically, yeah, kind of like bobbing awkwardly. Yeah. Totally. I wonder if it was like, so, I mean, yeah, that's sort of similar to Charlie in the sense that like he did shoot off really quickly sometimes, but maybe it had something to do with a malfunction. Maybe there was, if, if you believe there was a physical craft of some kind in this case, mm-hmm. I don't know. It reminded me of that a little bit. Definitely. There are so many connections to the Maury Island incident. And even like the fact like, you know, in the Maury Island incident we just covered, there was what I would describe as like a shedding of material, metallic material right. from that craft that was supposedly looked like it was in distress yes. in the Moore Island incident. And that reminds me of some of the things I read in Grant's book where he described how people would see craft off in the distance and they would see things descending from it. And it, a lot of times it is described as like seemingly maybe smaller craft. Yeah. Not really like a, a showering of confetti, but right. maybe. Right. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, where are we at here then? Should we talk we... a little bit about, I mean, have we mentioned um, Mrs. McCann? Oh, yeah. Let's get into some of the main players here. Yeah. Because we do have Grant. He was a um, sort of an amateur uh, researcher of the time. He used a lot of his own personal funds. I think he was either just completing university or in the middle of it. And then he, he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to follow this UFO. Yeah. Like he was in his twenties and he was just, man, what a, what a choice. Eh? That's actually pretty sweet. Just be like, screw this. I'm just going to follow a UFO. That's kind of what years. I want to do. We should just buy an RV and just go do that. <laughs> I, I really want to. <laughs> Charlie, come back. I want to follow you. <laughs> That would but, be so awesome. Okay, so, yeah, so we have Grant as, like, whatever. Like, he, obviously, he's the historian of this whole thing. Yes. And we have um, the friendship field dude, Anthony Britton, mm-hmm. who was a, kind of a focal point of this. His friendship airfield was sort of, like, the center of a lot of sightings. Uh, there were people that would camp out there. Yeah. And he would invite people. He was very open about it. He's like, come follow, like, you know, come see, like, come hang out, and then wait until about, like, Charlie would appear usually at about one in the morning. Right. Very, so early in the morning. Yeah. And uh, they would basically, there was a lot of instances where Charlie even, like, landed in the air field. And, and sometimes it was hard to distinguish what he looked like amongst all the lights in the airfield, and then you'd wait for it. And he would, like, rise up and then, like, you know, like... And you know what's weird, though, about Anthony Britton? He's a pilot. He yeah. owns an airfield. He never... There was no instance in this book or recorded ever that I saw anywhere else of him actually getting in a plane and trying to chase Charlie. Yeah. So that, to me, is kind of bizarre. Was it just too sporadic? Was it too, like, you know, like, by the time you get the engines running, all this stuff, all the pre-flight, whatever, it's all gone. figured out, it's, it's already just, gone? Yeah, I mean, well... Why would, would you have sense. it all ready to go, though? And then once he, like, you're already behind, you're in the cockpit and but you're it's waiting. Like, but it's like, what are you going to do when you get there? When you you're get up there? Follow. Like, I guess take, you can't take follow some him photos into... and stuff and maybe, like, closer. Uh, what I would want to do is wait until he is on his way back north. So he would go south and then he would dip into the U.S. Yeah. So you can follow him into the U.S. airspace. Right. And so once he's back over the border, then you could follow him wherever the heck he's going. Where did he go? He would go north. Like, he was seen in about Manitoba, too. Right. And there was those, uh, that was that pilot story that you're going to get into in a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. So he was seen up north, so maybe he would just uh, go back to, like, the North Pole. Just hang out. Go back to the North Pole. It's just been Santa this whole time. Well, you know what this is also reminding me of now is Moncla. 
right? Oh, yes. We covered Moncla. I can't remember the year off the top of my head. Felix Moncla, I think it was 1953. Oh, okay, so that's quite um, early. But again, like, there was the trajectory of the um, unidentified craft on the radar screen just going in north. a northern direction, yeah. disappearing. Right. But that's, that's all very loose Some sort connection. of clandestine UFO base in the Arctic, in the remote Arctic. I don't Arctic. know, man. I don't know. Who knows? I mean... Yeah, it's it's very strange. And mm. Anthony Britton, well, he was uh, he like restored like World War Two planes and stuff. Like he yeah. wasn't just a pilot. Like he was like he he was a full out he exactly known around. He was an the engineer area for, of yeah. sorts and mm-hmm. aviation. So I mean, whatever. he was like a credible witness for sure in this yeah. whole in this whole case. And him, I believe he might have had a wife. I'm not sure. I know there was also a photographer that was quite prominent in this as well. Honestly, her name escapes me, and I didn't write her in the notes. I'm so sorry, whoever you are. But uh, she definitely, she took a few photos, and she was mentioned repeatedly in Cameron's book as well as a sort of a credible witness that would go out with Anthony Britton on many of his forays in the night. Right. And then as well, you get things like um, local media. So CKY TV, they were out there quite a bit. They actually managed to get some footage of Charlie, supposedly, and that was quite famous for a while, and I'm pretty sure it's still circulating on the web somewhere. So we can include that in our... It's definitely notes. worth a look. I mean, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun to watch. So yeah, it's we'll, yeah. we'll post it for sure. Fascinating. Very vague, obviously, the quality of the footage is... Well, it's the 70s and it's also just, I mean, it's one of those things that's hard to catch image of uh, just a glowing distant thing yeah. that like to the naked eye is clearly a craft of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Anne McCann... <laughs> Sorry, Anna. Anna, Anna McCann. McCann. Anna. Oh, yeah, we, did, we forgot to mention the McCanns as well. They were quite prominent. Right. So they had numerous sightings. Like, yeah. their farm was a hot spot. And yes. they were... I feel really bad for this family. They didn't really have a time. They were kind of one of the only groups that really didn't have a time with Charlie. Oh. Uh, well, because other... I mean, oh, yeah, some people got scared their, yeah. and stuff, too. But, like, they really... I mean, for the most part, he was just completely benign and just this very fascinating thing. But... So for for them, the whole hardships had to do with the fact that they were ostracized by yes. a lot of people in the community. They were ridiculed. Um, yeah, they're basically their reputation went into the crapper, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, and they also had this one weird instance where. Um, they had missing horses. They had about 32 horses disappear yeah. over the course of a night. Right. And no sign of, like, where they had gone. No sign of any just fences being abducted. cut. Or anything. <laughs> Not cows this time and no mutilations. Just straight up gone. Yeah. That reminds me of Skinwalker Ranch, though. Remember the horses that went missing on that ranch? Yeah. They were never found. No. But and the dogs that got vaporized. They were yeah. never found either. Poor poochies. The sighting that Anna McCann had, though, where there was multiple craft was one of the instances where there was actually, like, a great amount of noise that came from yes, these sightings. Yes, that was unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she spotted two craft in a tree... Sorry, what's oh, what's it called? A cop. A cop of trees uh, near the family <laughs> I was going to say a glen. <laughs> a glen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a narrow valley, though. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Um, anyway, so, yeah, she sees two craft, not one, not just Charlie... Land in an area near her residence. About 15 minutes later, she described a whirlwind-type action in the trees that broke branches and stirred up ash from the, a fire the previous year over 30 feet in the air. And then this was accompanied by a deafening rumble-like thundering sound. Mm. Now, whether or not that's coming from the craft or coming from the trees breaking branches and, and, and swaying back and forth violently, I don't know. Yeah. But it was definitely a case where... There was noise, and it's just it was just the start of what would end up being kind of uh, some disturbing sort of instances for them. She looked up, and she saw a large grayish object descend from the trees and take off suddenly into the distant horizon. Hmm. And then that was the same one where she tried to confirm the experience with a nearby vet who was working in a barn on a horse or something. I can't remember what. Mm-hmm. But he basically said he didn't hear... Well, he heard the rumbling. He explained it as a herd of moose. A herd of moose. But, you know what, actually? I I immediately dismissed that in my head. I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, is, moose don't travel in herds. Maybe buffalo do or something. Or, um, what else do we find in this neck of the wood? Bison? I mean, I, Maybe? I, I, I don't know. Is the there 70s? bison out there? I don't, I don't know. know. But the thing that I'm thinking now is that a lot of these times, animals detect this way sooner. True. Way sooner. Like, there is the instance from the McCanns where they're horses started to go berserk in the barn um upon they were outside of the barn and they heard the horses going crazy in the barn the horses didn't have any sight line to the craft that was overhead of the barn but somehow they sensed it 
There was no sound coming from it, nothing. Just Which makes me think maybe there's sound right. going on that's below human hearing level, like something like infrared sound. Yeah, there must That be. would definitely create feelings of fear, panic, Anxiety unsettling. And, exactly, yeah. in animals. So maybe with this one, with um, the Anna McCann story, maybe it was like a herd of something, a herd of wild horses or something that got spooked. And they it's were just possible. like, boom, they're out of there. Like, you know, like... It's possible. But even if that's the, even if that's the case... But they were spooked by something. What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, I yeah. mean, it's not just going to be something naturally occurring. Like a tree gets hit by lightning and falls down. All of a sudden, there's a herd of animals exiting the woods because they're so scared. Like, it mm-hmm. has to be something unique. And there was quite a big distance of time in between. So she saw the craft land in the cop of trees. And then 15 minutes later is when she saw the big dust storm and everything, um, the ash kind of come yeah. up and everything. So yeah. there was a uh, extended period of time in between. Which makes me think, again, like this is just sort of circumstantial, like my interpretation of that, but it makes me think that it's a physical craft. It's not metaphysical, right? Because if mm-hmm. something's taking time to create sound and lift off and, and then there's a whirlwind of thing, that sounds like a landing and a takeoff. Yeah. Of a physical craft. It really does, yeah. So. For what purpose? You know what I mean? Like, Well, that's just it. It's all just so bizarre. It is extremely bizarre. <laughs> I mean, that that's the one thing we'll get into sort of theories in a, in a minute here. But, I mean, definitely some nuclear silos in the area as a possible Ooh, yes, reason. Yes, yes. Before we get into that, though, do you want to like, cover a couple of our favorite stories? Yeah, from... let's do it. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. What was your... You had a couple cool ones. Well, the one that really stood out to me was the uh the instance of the two pilots who were basically en route flying westward to winnipeg and they were confronted by multiple ufos that appeared to be dipping and diving around them so um again this wasn't just the one single object it wasn't just charlie but it was sort of these i mean i'm I'm just gonna call it reconnaissance vehicles associated with charlie or something because there's same area reconnaissance some exactly and the reason that this was so bizarre wasn't just because they saw this, but because these objects ended up flying directly towards them. And as they were about to maneuver to avoid being essentially struck head on, the craft I mean, were reversed, like we just said a minute ago. Mm. They went from flying, you know, twice the speed of the jets yeah. directly on towards them to all of a sudden heading the opposite direction. Yeah, but without... the weirdest part about it all was the little poofs of cloud that they just disappeared into. Yeah. It's like teeny little poofs that yeah. disappear, and then they just go fly straight into it, and they don't come out. You know what and that reminds it. me of? The port key from Harry Potter. Oh. Right? Where they have just, like, these, these, yeah, these like, spots where they can... It's a portal. It's a cloud portal. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Into the portal. Cloud portals. <laughs> nice. Nice. But seriously, though, like, it's a place for them to kind of safely go back to, and it's just like a, it's just like that. And we just, cut, of course, we were just on Zeng this for, for, yeah. <laughs> for we were oh, covering that oh, goblet of so fire. so relevant. But yeah. yeah, some sort of a portal, port key. Go check that out, by the way, if anyone that's a big fan of uh, Harry Potter, we did a cool special with Zeng this. Anyways, that's, I'm not going to plug it too much, but it was yeah, a lot of fun. It was we, super fun. It was the, the fourth one, the goblet, goblet of, of fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cool stuff now. Yeah, but yeah. anyways, back on topic. Yes. Um, yeah, okay, so the pilots. That is weird. And that is cool because they were commercial pilots, right? Uh, They were yes. not Air Force. No, they weren't Air Force. Okay. Um, but they it wasn't, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't like a, it was, it wasn't like a commercial passenger flight, though. I no. don't think. I think it was just, they, they were civilian pilots, but it wasn't, it wasn't a commercial flight. Yeah. Like, with, you know, hundreds of passengers on board or anything like that. That would have been interesting. Could you imagine if that, if we had like a 747 instance with multiple, with, you know, 200 witnesses? That's, yeah. I mean, that would have been pretty sweet. That would have been cool. Um, <laughs> there's something. There was another instance too that was, a, I think it was, I'm not sure if this was from the horse's mouth from his actual dad, um, Grant Cameron, at one point in the book, he goes into how his, his dad, Robert Cameron, who was a pilot as well, um, either he is relating the story from a friend of his, or he was actually in the cockpit that day. I'm huh. not, I can't be 100% on that, but he apparently, they were flying at about 15,000 feet when they 15, encounter- 15. 15. Did I say 50? Yeah. Sorry. 15 is what I'm going to say. Uh, 15,000 feet, and they encountered these objects that were described as a silvery ball. Okay. About 100 <laughs> feet across, and it just was pacing the jet. 
crazy. And there was nothing picked up on radar despite visual confirmation by the pilots and the co-pilot. Silvery ball. A silvery ball. So this is daytime too, mind you. Right, so Charlie's glowing at night, silvery during the day. That makes sense to me. Kind of reminds me of like this golden snitch. Now there's on Harry Potter. Yeah, now we got Harry Potter <laughs> on the brain. Everything's okay. <laughs> everything's turned up Harry. <laughs> God, you can interpret that the wrong way. I think. Ooh. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred oh, feet across, though. Hey, like yeah. that's um, that's a that's a good size. I mean, that's big. It's huge. Well, actually, you know what? That does actually. It makes sense in relation to the other sightings that described a house-like object, like as big as a barn, that type of thing. I remember that too, yeah. And that's where we get into one of my favorite. Uh, This was in chapter three of of What's-His-Name's book. Grant Cameron. Oh, sorry. I hate saying that on air. (laughs) What's-His-Name? Oh, oh, Grant (laughs) Cameron. That's okay. What's his name? Anyways, um, I'm not say that again. <laughs> so yeah, in Grand Cameron's book, there was this one case. I'm gonna call it the Bobby Baker case. Okay. And it's really unfortunate what happened to this little kid, like how it affected him. Mm-hmm. This is about an eight-year-old boy. He was already described as timid and withdrawn before this incident occurred. And while he was on his family farm the only one in the area at the time, it was literally just him as a sole witness and his pony. Um, he encountered this UFO, Charlie, and oh man, he, he had a a big time, like like a bad time with this one. So the story goes that it was a saucer shaped object that he saw as big as a house. Right. Huge is how he described it. He was obviously intimidated by its size. Um, yeah. So apparently, he saw the craft change colors, first from green to white, then blood red, Ooh. and finally yellow. And it hovered, it was approximately 50 feet in the air. So it's taking off, sorry, it's taking on all these different colors. It's kind of just like, it's almost like messing with him. It's just like, just like kind of floating, like, like 50 feet above you isn't that far above you, right? Like a no, basketball hoops, what, 18? Ten, 10 feet. 10 feet? Okay. 18. 18. <laughs> Feels like 18 to me. I'm like five It looks feet. like that when you're watching those guys play. It's like yeah. they're all 50 feet tall, so. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so about 50 feet, so times that by five, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 <I already forgot. laughs> no, but it's anyways. close. It's close. It's not, uh, yeah. Yeah, so this thing was just kind of hovering, kind of just like drifted towards him, and then it just... Boom! Took off. Right. And he had his pony nearby. He was, you know, his cute little pony. Oh. And the pony flipped, man. <laughs> like, he, like, yeah. He, he was not having time. He, no. he took off as soon as the craft kind of entered the area and was doing its thing. And Bobby, he was literally just, like, frozen solid on the petrified. spot. Yes, totally petrified. His 10-year-old sister actually um, came up, like, she, I don't even know where she was. She was somewhere else on the farm came up right after it happened, and she was, like, literally, he was still standing there with his face drained of blood. Like, he was just sheet white. Yeah. And just, uh, yeah, he was he, he was almost, like, in a state of, uh, a fugue state. You know what I mean? Right. And after a while, he did relate how he wanted to actually, he was so terrified, he wanted to go grab his father's shotgun to see if he could shoot it. Crazy. he didn't know what else to do. And this kid's only eight years old. Yeah, it would have, like, knocked him right over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyways, um, Grant Cameron went to investigate and get the scoop from his family and from Bobby. Uh, and this was kind of a really awkward uh, encounter. Like, he went to the farm and tried to get Bobby to open up a little mm-hmm. bit. As soon as he walked in the room, uh, Bobby, he was so withdrawn. He, he withdrew to the very corner. He was looking out the window just with this, like, really far-off blank expression on his face. And then he would, like, look over at Cameron, and Cameron described how it almost... It seemed as if Bobby was flinching from him, like he was afraid, and, like, didn't want to confront the experience, maybe. Maybe because he knew that, obviously, that's why he was there. Um, It almost seemed as if he was flinching, as if he thought Grant was going to hit him or something. That's kind of how he described it. Yeah, like, it was that traumatic experience. Mental flinching. You're just like, ugh, like, I don't want to experience it again. Yes. And so, yeah, clearly scarred. He, um... He had this, like, expression as if his mind were somewhere else entirely. You have to Doesn't wonder it? if something had happened, like, in that short time that he witnessed Ooh. the craft, if it was just a sighting that terrified him, or if something well, else if happened eight, to him. If you're eight, like, that's, that's a very 
young age. I mean, it's experience. pretty. You're gonna carry that with you for the rest of your life. Well, are you you're kidding me? I'm 27, that. and if that happened to me, I'd be doing the exact same. Like maybe if you're six or five, you might forget it. You know what I mean? Like, cause your memory. I don't even know when that actually starts to really solidify. Uh, well, but eight years old, you're going to remember. Oh, I remember yeah, things I mean, from when I was eight. So if absolutely. it was something no, no, that no, no, sure. traumatic, you're going to remember We should, it. we, I mean, yeah. I wonder what Bobby's up to these days. Mm, I don't know, actually. That'd be, he probably is trying to forget still. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so Grant, he, uh, he had to do a lot of coaxing. Um, he got a lot of the story through his dad. His dad was trying to, like, get him to open up, but it was just kind of a lot of just clamming. 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 He's clammed up, man. And not the good kind, not smoked clams. You would think that the men in black had visited him. Hmm. You know what? We didn't get a single reported men in black instance from this. Uh, oh, that's bizarre. From this. It uh, was so regular. Series. Yeah, it was so regular and it was so close to, again, like we'll touch on it, but some, you know, s- you know, significant government sites, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. But then that just goes to show, it's like, well, are, are the men in black linked at all to the government? Mm. Or some remote, you know, um, secret branch of, of either of the U.S. government or whatever. Or a world government. You never know. Like, it was so prominent. Okay, this is just a stat here. So, uh, people who claim to have seen a UFO during this time of 1975-1976, so let's just call it to the end of 76 to 77 kind yep, of thing, yep. two-year period, it was five times the national average. Really? So that's a lot. And just in the one area. So that's a huge concentration. Yeah, that's interesting. It's And mm-hmm. it goes through stages. It's like, okay, so like when we, like, like I said, again, we just covered Moran, so there was this whole wave then, like late 40s, early 50s. And then all the way into, like, you know, Bra- the Braxton County, if you want to include that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a kind of a break for a little while. Yep. Like, there's there's still sightings, but there's kind of a bit of a gap. And then instances like this, where it's just these ongoing, like, super repetitive, you know, hundreds of witnesses, if not thousands of wit- thousands of witnesses, right? Huh. It's interesting how it goes Very. in waves. Very. Um, Yeah. So that kind of covers my favorite stories. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's plenty more that we could dive into, too, but we're, just for time's sake, we're not going to. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, what else is uh, of note here? Hmm. I. Sorry. That's just my squeaky no, little voice. Okay. Um, there was. I did come across a CTV article that was talking about UFO sightings in Manitoba and how uh, there were definitely other ones in Manitoba over, you know, this is between 1792 to 1967 and beyond into the 70s, obviously, because Charlie's in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, there was a cool, a couple cool ones, but we don't really need to touch on that. There was a, <laughs> actually, let's touch on this one. Okay. 1792. Okay. <laughs> David Thompson in the winter time. <laughs> he saw a mass of gelatinous luminosity that traveled towards him, then descended towards a nearby lake and then disappeared. So that's one uh, Manitoba sighting from way back. That's 1792. That's crazy. But like, that was just li- in reference. Like, 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 I was fur, trying to... like a Hudson's Bay fur trader saw that? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Because that's... A long time ago. It's a long time ago. <laughs> I know, right? What are you doing in the wintertime there? Uh, there was another one, too, from 76... Or, sorry, 67. <laughs> Dyslexia. Uh, in Thompson, Manitoba, there was... Described as a cube. A UFO cube. And there was a girl that... Um, it was a group of friends, and they were all playing in this... Uh, in just, like, a yard in someone's yard... And there was a girl that was a little bit nearer to it, and apparently she started to get, like, sucked up towards it. And her friends grabbed her legs and pulled her to the ground. And apparently, the whole event was witnessed by her parents. Her dad actually ran out to help, and he was like, what's going on here? It's bizarre. I know, right? But anyways, those are just a couple other references. Totally random. But uh, I pulled those up out of the ether of the internets and just thought it would be... um, (laughs) thought it would be. No, it's interesting. You know, something cool to mention. It is kind of crazy that, like, Manitoba, of all places, ended up being... Okay, like, let's just get to this point here, because there's this one guy who uh, Grant Cameron references, um, what's the name? Uh, Bob something or other. 
who basically... Oh, yeah, in his later video. Yeah. Okay, so we came across some videos, just for context here. Uh, videos of Grant later on in life from, like, the 2000s, yeah. I would assume. Uh, and he is talking about Charlie. He's talking about sort of the larger picture here. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean... Okay, well, I was just going to touch on the on the missile silo stuff. Yeah. So basically this... I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. Like, if you do believe that there is some sort of... Uh, if it's a physical craft and there's some reconnaissance going on, well, the reason might be that North Dakota, Montana, and Minnesota are uh, areas with a ton of missile silos, basically, located along the border. Mm. And um, the same goes for Canada, I suppose. And basically, this guy that um, Cameron had a connection with, he... I mean, he's basically suggesting that, like, if there was ever, you know, like, at the peak of the Cold War, if there was, you know, people just waved the mutually assured destruction knowledge and just went for it, that these would be the first places to go. Mm. It wouldn't be New York or Los Angeles or come Toronto over the or Vancouver. And, hit. and then a lot be, of those would hit Manitoba, too. Presumably, right? Mm. So, um, interesting, because there's obviously cases in the past, too, where there's, I mean, there's tons of instances where there's UFOs sighted and they're over nuclear facilities, either mm-hmm. having to do directly with missiles or just, just, uh, you know, um, like refining uranium, like anything having to do with nuclear power. Mm-hmm. So you have to wonder, I, I mean, we should dig around too. It's not directly related to Charlie, but like in other countries too, it's got to be the same thing. I mean, You'd have to you know, wonder, especially is, in the Soviets. You think I North wonder. Korea with their new program, they're getting some UFOs? Oh, I wonder. <laughs> or not new program, I guess. Accelerated program that they're supposedly stopping, but it's probably not really happening. But. <laughs> 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 that is a really cool connection, though, because you do get this really intensive um, period of sightings as a flap. And then apparently these UFO, U- UFO silos, <laughs> missiles. <laughs> they're coming silos. out of the silos. That's where he's coming from. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, no, as soon as these are removed from these bases, that's kind of when it started to diminish and die down. Yeah. And the area of Carmen has not experienced anything like this since. Nope. So. No, when we've, when we've checked, there's, there's. There's not anything going no, on. No. Come back, Charlie. There's been UFO sightings since, completely unrelated to this. And they're just sort of. What fleeting. if? What if? This is a total just, like, harebrained whatever. Okay. I'm just picturing, like, hey, you know, on The Watchmen, you know Dr. Manhattan? How he was basically a product of being ripped apart by some sort of crazy atomic nuclear sort of experiment sort of thing. I don't even know what you call that. Some sort of vacuum. Anyways, so he's ripped apart atom by atom. What if, like, Charlie and other UFO sort of things like that, like the glowing, especially orbs, right? Orbs, these things that are glowing. What if these are like remnants of the energy created from these sort of like nuclear fusions and nuclear like experiments and things and whatever else? That's a crazy idea. It kind of is, yeah. And it doesn't really make sense because a lot, like obviously nuclear technology didn't come around until mid 20th century. Right. And there was like so many sightings before that too. Yeah. So in that sense, not really like, it doesn't, it's not comprehensive, but... No, but there's something there, though, because I've always asked this question. It's like, why would any why would any extraterrestrial terrestrial race or ultra-terrestrial or me- whatever, or metaphysical, if you're getting into sort of like the Mothman, John Keel kind of camp of things, why would they care? Yeah. Why would you care at all? I mean, th- we are no threat to you. We are just these bags of skin that walk around and just die very <laughs> easily skin that, try, that try to create weapons that, that quite frankly, like you'd think by comparison to something that can either travel interdimensionally or from great distance, exactly. why would you care? That's like yeah. me coming into a gunfight with a pencil and like being like, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. So it's clearly just like a, it's almost just like an experiment. It's almost like Charlie or other UFOs. Yeah. It's almost like a class field trip. Well, like, Charlie seemed very look. evasive of humans, too, right? You do get instances where he was supposedly following cars down the highway and, like, chasing them. Like, they would um, slow down, speed up, and Charlie would just pace them. Yeah. But he would never, like, approach... I mean, there was never any instances of abductions or No abductions, or anything, yeah. Or no. any, like, um, actual alien entities themselves. It's always just, like, the vehicle. The craft, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the closest thing, you could say, like, the closest that came to an abduction was the Bobby Baker case because it was physically so close. Yeah. Um, and it affected him, like, that yeah. intensely. Actually, that's a good So what point. would that classification be? And he's the only one that was very, like, scarred by it. He's the only case in this whole book where it was, like, he yeah. was terrified. 
Now again, rightly okay. so. It's as big of a house, and you're eight years old. Seriously, yeah. Well, that would t- I would poop my pants if that <laughs> happened to me. He probably did. Like, come on now. I wouldn't blame him. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the question too is, where is the Canadian government in all this? If Ooh. this is a two-year flap, right? Yeah. Where Where is this? So it's being reported. Like, you can go, mm. you can find reports. Like, yeah. there's YouTube videos of, um, you know, just straight CBC, or not even CBC, just, like, local, like, CTV uh, news reports of basically, you know, mm-hmm. Charlie being seen. But uh, does it take something more dangerous or, like, somebody being abducted or something being destroyed for the Canadian military to get involved? Because you'd mm. think that that would be something they would be concerned with. Well, there was that one outpost put in in northern Manitoba somewhere near uh, Churchill. Okay. And it was like this random, it reminds me of like an ice fishing hut. And it was like literally one dude posted up in this little hut and he was supposed to, they did all sorts of experiments. Like they had um, electromagnetic um, radar. They had all sorts of different measuring devices and things to see if they could pick up. Right. Any changes? I don't think it ever came to anything. Well, not that we heard of, right? Nothing was really reported from it, but... Mm, I could do some more digging. I mean, what do you, what do you make of this, ultimately? I, I like it. I believe it. (laughs) I think it was just so regular and so, so widely experienced that it would be hard to be a hoax. Yeah. I don't even think that's really a possibility. Well, yeah, the, the the amount of people that saw it and also, like, the distance and territory that it covered, right? Yeah. Like, kind of going around Carmen and around different parts of Manitoba and over the border into the U.S. as well. Like, people saw this. American citizens were... It's not like a Canadian's going to play a hoax on American soil. No. Think, you know no. I mean? How are you going to pull that off, right? Yeah. And how... And, and again, how would you pull off this as a hoax? Like, how? Like, you would need... The technology... You it's far beyond. To, it, it's like we didn't have drones back then. Like, no, and if you did have a drone, then maybe there. Yeah, like today, people could could fake this. Like maybe not to the same degree, not in all the same instances. Like you couldn't fake a drone the size of a house terrorizing Bobby Baker. No, but you know, distant lights, that type of thing, definitely makes it tougher for uh, UFOologists these days, for sure. Yeah. Another interesting point we we kind of touched on cattle mutilations, but like seventy five, that was like a year where the it spiked up. Oh, really? Yeah, and but that was mostly in the U.S. And Charlie wasn't mm. really associated with cattle mutilations, but there were the disappearance of the horses. Yeah, but which could have been totally uh, unrelated. Could right? have been unrelated, but it's just funny. That's like we have a UFO in over Manitoba that's relatively benign, no cattle mutilations, and then you've got this massive spike in cattle mutilations. Again, this is coming back to races of extraterrestrials to me, mm. if you believe it to be the physical craft. Mm-hmm. Because some are obviously into other hobbies, <laughs> such as probing cows, and uh, they're looking for that primo slice of Kobe beef. I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know, seemingly not. They leave all the meat and take all the organs and the blood. Haggis. <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know. Oh man. I, I I have to agree with you though too. Like I think that um, definitely this was something that. I'm leaning metaphysical though. Like I'm leaning mm-hmm. that it's some sort of an interdimensional thing. It's, it's, it screams orb to me, it except does. for the fact that it behaved very differently than most other reported orb type Didn't experiences. Didn't feelings of um, dread animosity and like, or dread or yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that probably won't like that because we've actually had some people reach out recently that just talking about paranormal ideas in general where they're like, that's their least likely paranormal kind of genre is orbs. Mm. But for me, quite honestly, it's one of the most because it's they're They are so widely witnessed and, and seen, mm-hmm. but they're so simple. It's just this, it's a very... And the simplicity of it almost reminds me of... Okay, this is a kind of a strange analogy, but interdimensional. Imagine this, like, you know, the pages of a book. Or even, like, you know, when you are watching a play and you see, like, they'll put, like, a, uh, a screen down... And then you'll see, maybe perhaps you'll see balls of, or not balls of light, but <laughs> Great balls you'll of see, fire. you'll see shadows, right? They'll do like a shadow presentation yeah. or they'll do, there'll be like lights and then you'll see it from behind the veil kind of thing. Right. What if we are behind the veil and they are in their own sort of inter, like they're in their own dimension and it's on a different page of the book, but it's a page that's right next to ours. Right. Right. So we're seeing, we're seeing bits. We're seeing the element but we're not seeing the full picture. 
So maybe there's something else going on that we're just not, we're physically and our sensory abilities are not there. Yeah. So we can't actually fully experience it to the extent that maybe they're experiencing it in a different dimension. Bizarre. I like that though. <laughs> I mean, that's well, my two bits right there. No, I mean that, that the way you just laid it out, like, I mean, I, I, yeah, it makes sense to me because just the way the behavior, the, the way it showed up, the way it interacted, it just seems like it would be something like that. Like that. It's just a, it's some sort of a, mm. I don't know how much intention it had, but it, mm-hmm. the, but it, there was, I feel like it had an awareness, awareness. Of... That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Maybe not so much an intention, but an awareness. I yeah. think the missile silo thing is just a easy, a very easy explanation mm-hmm. and it implies physical craft extraterrestrial to me. Because yeah. because interdimensional ultra terrestrial wouldn't be interested, <laughs> but that's also just my humanistic brain. Like I have, I cannot think beyond like the you know the parameters Our that basic we have to work with, right? Yeah, exactly. like I can't mm-hmm. extend beyond even just the English language because I can't speak any other languages. But you, can you speak know, Spanish. No bueno. Mucho malo. Muy malo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that's fascinating though. I mean, it's just one of these things that's like, it takes a higher level of understanding to really be able to break this down. It's, it's a philosophical conversation really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But that's it. That, that's, uh, that's our, that's our take on uh, Charlie Redstar, the, the friendly Manitoba UFO. Mm-hmm. Thank you to all of our patrons for joining us on this special adventure. Yeah. And we're really stoked to release this and get on our, working on our September pitching. Oh, it's going to be fun. We've got some yeah. big plans, honestly. Like, uh, we're going to have a pretty epic month of October for Halloween. And then and, we're going to uh, have all listener-suggested episodes for September on our yeah. regular show. Yes. And then for our Patreon special episode, hmm... Hmm, patrons, hey. get at us. Yeah, get at us. Whatever you want to... Yeah, what, what what you're craving, let us know. Yep. And we'll make it happen. Let's do it. So thanks again, and uh, until next time on uh, Into the Portal Patreon. Mm-hmm. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.